0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I just told you what we talked about last week, but it started where I sort of followed up on our teaching about the devil from the Sunday before that, and in Luke chapter 10, When he had sent the 70 out, you remember, and they came back saying, Lord, the demons are subject to us. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. And I just went on to talk about how what Jesus was seeing there was not remembering when Satan was cast out of the presence of God and imprisoned on earth, but actually he's seeing the beginning of the fall of Satan's kingdom as the disciples went out and stood in his authority, right? So I went on and read... Uh, Just since I was there, I just spent some time and read some more uh, through uh, the following verses. And that's where I'm going to be going tonight. But first, to set the stage for this message, I want to take a couple minutes, look back, and remember what kind of world it was that Jesus stepped into. This was the Roman Empire, right? And Judea was a little, maybe in some senses, insignificant province in the roman empire they had limited autonomy and what i mean by that is the jews were allowed to be jews they were definitely entrenched in the roman empire they were under rome's control but they did not go in there and upset they didn't overturn their culture they didn't tear down their their uh, uh their places of worship they were allowed to have synagogues they had a temple they even had a king He wasn't the right king. He wasn't the rightful inheritor of the throne of Israel. But they could offer sacrifices. They could read the Bible, uh, what they had of it back then. They could celebrate the Passover. Was there persecution? There was. uh, I believe the main form of persecution was uh, probably the corrupt taxing authorities you know they 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 had to pay taxes as citizens of Rome and therefore taxes had to be collected and the tax collectors were notorious if you said you were a tax collector it was just assumed and probably in most cases correctly that you were overcharging people they would they would tell you you owed more taxes than you did and then they would skim off that excess and what made them despised was they were they would the, Rome, the, the Roman authorities would actually hire Jews. We're going to pay you to be a tax collector. So not only were they ripping people off, they were ripping their own people off. Uh, but what really galled the Jews who were living under Roman rule was the fact that they had to pay taxes to Rome at all. It reminded them of the Old Testament concept of tribute. Back in the days of Saul, and then especially under David and Solomon, when the kingdom of Israel was still united, before there was a northern and southern kingdom, Israel was a powerhouse nation. Powerhouse nation. And and the enemies of Israel being defeated had to pay tribute to Israel in the form of money, you know, silver, gold, or livestock, grains, other produce, uh, olive oil, things like that they had to ship a certain amount, and it was a set amount. You will send us this much stuff every year. And Israel got rich as a result of this. And you could call that a treaty. You could call it a contract. You could call it a protection racket, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nice country you have here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. You know, That's not really the way it went. These, these, these countries who were paying tribute were paying tribute because they had been harassing Israel for, dec- for centuries. And then David finally subdued them and then allowed them to continue to exist with their own measure of autonomy, as long as they paid tribute to Israel. So now, uh, these, these, uh, the Jews now living under Roman rule, they knew this. And even though they have the freedom to worship as they please, it troubles them that they are not doing it from a position of strength. It troubles them that somebody is allowing them to do it. And they're not just doing it. What they long for is the day when Messiah would come and throw off the bonds of Rome. Right? Restore Israel to the greatness it enjoyed under King David. And the prophets. Let's not forget the prophets. They weren't just looking for the Messiah. We talked about this not too long ago. They were looking for Elijah... And the prophet, I think they misunderstood it, most of them did, the prophet that Moses promised them back in Deuteronomy, I'm going to send you a prophet like Moses, was actually Jesus. But they were looking for the Messiah, the prophet, and Elijah. And can you imagine, they're thinking, man, when we get, when the Messiah is here, when we have a king like David sitting on the throne again, but... Think about this. If we could get a prophet like Moses in here, lay some plagues on Rome. If we could get Elijah in here and challenge the Romans to a showdown, like on Mount Carmel, remember that? And when Messiah comes, the true king of Israel, another David, he will show that stupid Caesar what a king really is, what a warrior really is. And this is why so many people, so many Jews, were slow to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. It's why they were so quick to change their tune from, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him. Because he wasn't doing what they expected him to do. They were looking for something better. And actually the title of this message is, Good, Better, Best. Now you can turn to Luke 10. Like I said, he sent out the 70, gave them, told them, gave them marching orders. Go out and do this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the kingdom. Tell everybody who will listen that the kingdom of God has come near you. And then they come back and they tell him they were excited. Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And he tells them, I saw Satan fall like lightning, and nevertheless, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And then he gives them some more answers, speaks with them, and then he prays in their presence. And then in Luke 10, chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 23, says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see. You long for the days of David, of Solomon, and the prophets. This is better than that. You are seeing greater things than they saw. You are experiencing greater things than they experienced. And you are beginning to walk and operate in an authority that even the kings did not have spiritual authority. Similarly, Paul in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I say, Paul, I want to preach Hebrews so bad just so I can lay out my case for why I believe Paul wrote Hebrews but we don't know for sure. And that's not necessarily the popular opinion. It is the correct opinion, but it is not the popular opinion. Whoever wrote Hebrews, this is God speaking through them, right? And in chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, we read about all these great heroes of the faith, men and women who by their faith accomplished great things, received great promises, saw great things. And then it gets toward the end of this Uh, passage and beginning in verse 39 he says and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise god having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us they were a part of god's plan they fulfilled their role in god's plan but what they were working toward what they were looking forward to was what we are in right now something better So this is actually the good. It was better than they knew. This is what Jesus' point was. You, you're, you, uh, you know, I'm telling you, the kings and prophets longed to see what you saw. This is better. But for our purposes, since this is where we start, it's the good. The disciples began to realize this, that being with Jesus was the best thing they had known. Now, don't get me wrong, I get it. They still had some serious misunderstandings about the nature of the kingdom and uh, the immediate future. You remember, even though they had been with Jesus, even though they loved Jesus, and even after the resurrection, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it that that wasn't what Jesus was about. But uh, they did love Jesus. They loved being with him, and he was the best thing that ever happened to them. And so... Even when he said some hard things, they wouldn't leave him. You remember that famous passage in John 7, I think, where, where uh, when he's talking about eat my body and drink my blood, and, they were, and people started to leave him. And he turns to those closest to him. Are you going to leave too? Who, who can we go to? Who else has words of eternal life? So when it came time for Jesus to be crucified and rise from the dead and ascend... This was not going to be received as good news by the disciples. Certainly, the crucifixion was not going to be received as good news. The resurrection was going to be good news. But then, just a little bit later, he's going to leave. He's going to ascend. But Jesus said, and you can turn if you want to, to John chapter 16. And this is all, this is a long passage of him preparing his disciples for his departure what comes next. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin. Be- yeah, no, stop. That's, I'm reading too far. Uh, it's good that I'm with you. It will be better when I go because the Holy Spirit will be with you. Actually, through the Holy Spirit, I will be in you. Now, did that turn out to be true? Was it better? That Jesus went away. Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them. He commanded. This is right before the ascension. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the father. Which he said. You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Skip down to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to, the ends of, and to the end of the earth. Skip ahead to chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, mighty rushing, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then, right after this, they go out into the street. A crowd draws. Peter preaches. And still in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's the better. For us, we live in the better right now. Same Holy Spirit, same power and authority, same promises. The Holy Spirit and the spirit of Pentecost was never meant to wear off or become diluted. When we talk about a Pentecostal renewal or a charismatic renewal, that's not just God deciding, wait, I think I'll pour out my spirit again. It always starts with people discovering these ancient truths that the Holy Spirit never left, that the gifts were never taken away. It's not like the gifts were taken away and then restored. They were restored in individual churches, but only as people had their eyes and their hearts opened to the eternal truth of the word of God. This is the better. Now, what I, let me just camp out there for just a second. This is the better. We have that same Holy Spirit in us that filled Peter and on the same day he preached a sermon that had 3,000 people answer an altar call. Same spirit lives in you, same spirit lives in me. The same spirit that, that emboldened Peter and John just to, uh, to grab a lame man by the hand and pull him up to his feet and send him walking and leaping and praising God. But now what do I want to address? Even though we are living in the better, not just the good, but the better, is uh, this notion, and I believe it's a false one, that we can experience heaven on earth. We can talk about and we can experience great praise and worship. And I mean great that it's technically great. I mean great that it moves us. Where we are caught up in a, in a glorious moment. When we can even experience the tangible presence of God manifestations of his presence and his power. Holy Ghost meetings are like that. Falling under the power. People being drunk in the spirit. Holy laughter. And I'm not slamming those things. Most of you know that this is not something that, has, that, 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 that uh, typifies my charismatic experience, but I haven't left the charismatic church. I've seen these things. I believe in them. I've experienced the tangible anointing in different ways. Okay? But I have seen God work in our midst and touch people and change people. And we know, just as a matter of truth, that Jesus is in our midst when we gather in his name. We know that God inhabits the praises of his people. Is that heaven on earth? It's not. I'll tell you, it's a taste, it's a glimpse. But do we really think it's the same? I mean, even if we do everything right, we forsake all of our other passions and we live wholeheartedly and pursue God wholeheartedly and experience all this stuff. Is this as good as it gets? Uh, let me interrupt this because I'm getting near the end of this and I know I have time. There's, I've heard it even said that we can live in the miraculous, live in the daily manifested tangible presence of God. I don't think we can. I'm not sure that's a reasonable goal. Listen to me. Not because God doesn't desire intimacy with us, but because if we are living, you've probably heard me say this before, if we are living in a constant state of the tangible presence of God, Not just where we know, but we can sense him. I mean, think about the moment. Most of you have experienced this, and I pray that everybody does, where you have a moment when you are so connected in a time of prayer or usually in a time of worship, where you just feel like you can just stay there because, oh, God is in this place. You've experienced him like you've you've never experienced him before. If you could live in that moment where there's not a shadow of fear, not a shadow of doubt, nothing that could begin to combat your belief or your faith or anything. If you live constantly in that place, then you don't have to live by faith. We are not to live from punctuated miracle to punctuated miracle or punctuated manifestation to punctuated manifestation. Doesn't mean we don't expect these things and believe for them. You understand. Well, I'm talking about having Ken, Kevin and Annie in here. What's our goal as faith people? Let's take healing because it's something that every one of us in this room had probably needed at one time or another, probably in the last year. Our goal, what we should be uh, uh, training ourselves and one another and encouraging one another to be, is people of faith, where we walk in the, in the constant Knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ has already purchased our healing. Do you believe that? That legally it belongs to you. Uh, and you know there's a difference between ownership and possession. You know, it's yours on paper. Now how do I possess it? And we believe in releasing our faith with our words, right? Activating our faith. And, but the idea is our first response to sickness should, shouldn't be call the doctor, shouldn't be go to the medicine cabinet, shouldn't be call the pastor. It should be stand on the word. This healing is mine. This sickness is not. How do I know? Because Jesus himself took it. He himself bore our infirmities in his own flesh and carried them to the cross. It's not mine anymore. It's been taken away. Therefore, it's, it's an illegal resident in my body. I command it to leave in Jesus' name. But that doesn't mean, I, I hate it. it, I would hate to think that somebody in this room, or a, in any service, is maybe they went through their confessions in the morning. You're fighting a disease, you're fighting an injury, you're fighting a pain, whatever it is in your body, and then somebody comes up, and there's a clear gift of healing in operation, and you don't avail yourself of it because, well, I'm already standing in faith, and to come up there and avail myself of a miracle healing, that's a, that's a, that's a lack of faith. No, it's not. God puts these gifts in the body for the body's sake. Now, especially if somebody comes up and says, I have a word, and they call out exactly what it is you're fighting, this is your moment of manifestation. Receive it. But I guess all I'm saying is our focus should be the other way. Just because it's not called out doesn't mean you're not standing in faith. Well, unless a miracle happens, unless it's an instantaneous thing, unless there's a a, a falling down or something like that, then then God's not doing anything. He did it all 2,000 years ago. All right, we, we should not have to wonder about that stuff. All right, So we bring in these ministers who flow in this and who God has gifted to bring this gift into the body, and that's fine. But again, it's not a matter of living from punctuated miracle, punctuated manifestation to the next, because that's not walking by faith. If I can feel it, if I can see it, if I can experience it on a constant basis, I don't need faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, right? The substance of things hoped for. And if we are in faith, we will receive them manifestly. Okay. Now, so all that to say, when we're doing everything right, and we're experiencing these things on a regular basis, is that really as good as it gets? It's not. First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable or miserable. Is it good to have Christ in this life? Does Christ make this life worth living? He does for me. But Paul's saying, if if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, nobody should be pitied more than we should. That's a bold statement coming from somebody who really experienced the fullness of Christ, who saw visions, who was caught up into heaven himself, right? Had a vision anyway. Now, let's read on. Still in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, pick it up in verse 35. But some will say, someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that... You do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. And what's he saying here? You're trying to imagine what this body is going to look like. It's like trying to imagine, if you've never seen a corn stalk, it's trying to look at a kernel of corn and trying to imagine what it would become once I plant it in the ground. What would you imagine? If you'd never seen, if you, had, if you knew nothing about a corn plant, and somebody tells you, plant this into the ground, and it will produce more corn. What do you picture? Well, it's gonna be it's gonna look just like that, only bigger. Or maybe it'll just be a pile of corn. It's something that looks completely different, doesn't it? But it's still corn. This is where Paul's going with this. Verse 42. So also, still in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians 42. Uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So let skip down to 48 as was the man of dust so also are those who are made of dust and as is the heavenly man so also are those who are heavenly and we and as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man wow i'm not saying that our glorified bodies are not going to be recognizable as People. I'm saying the difference. When you talk about, well, we're sown in weakness and raised in, what's it say? Raised in glory. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. We've got to have a better vision for the afterlife than, it's just going to be me only, I'm not going to be sick. You are going to be glorious. We, the man of dust is the fallen Adam. That's whose image we bear. We're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, i got to be careful. Make sure you don't, hear, don't think I'm saying something I'm not. We are not going to be equal with Jesus. You understand that? He will always be the Lord God. God the Son. We are not going to be God. But we will bear his image. Just like we bear Adam's image now. And I'm telling you, if Jesus did come right now, in his glorified self, straight from heaven, right onto the stage here, right onto the platform at Living Word Family Church, you would all, without being encouraged, there would be no praise and worship. Let's all stand, let's everybody get down on our knees and give him the homage he is due. You would just automatically do it. And I'm telling you, if you in your future glorified state, were to walk in here right now, we would all be tempted to do the same thing. That's how much you will bear the image of the heavenly man. Last passage and then I'll close. Praise and worship team can come up here if there is one in here. (laughs) Philippians chapter 1. Verse 21. Beginning in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Jesus told the disciples that when he was with them, physically on the earth, it was the best they had ever known. And Jesus is telling them, this is better than what you have been longing for. You've been longing for the days of the kings and the prophets to return. This is better than that. That's our good. Jesus then said, you're sad that I'm going to go. Just like you were sad when it finally dawns on you that David's not coming back here. It's not going to be like days." King David, it's not what you want. It's something better. Now you want me to stay. I'm telling you, even though you're sad that I'm going, it's better for you if I go. That's our better. Jesus in the flesh was good. Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit in us is better. But this isn't as good as it gets. It's best after this whole mess is over. Don't ever forget that. That's why I came to Christ. I wasn't looking for somebody to make my life better. I was looking for somebody to assure me that there was something better at the end of this life. Now I think there's so much emphasis, and and it needs to be, we do. We need to make people understand it's not just about getting saved so so you go to heaven when you die. He's got a purpose for you. And that purpose, and by the way, my column for the next newsletter will will include some of this. But he does. He does have a purpose for us. And in the middle of fulfilling that purpose, in the middle of our obedience to him, what does he promise us? What did he say he came for? That we might have life and have it more abundantly. But we can, if we're not careful, get so caught up in the abundant life that we fight tooth and nail to live for what? What? I'm not saying that we should throw our lives away. Paul said, I'm, I'm hard-pressed. If, if it's up to me, I have a hard time making this decision because I know what I want to do. I want to get out of here. It would be much better to be with Christ. And many people today, their attitude is, Christ has promised me an abundant life. He's promised me healing. I'm enjoying my life, and I don't want to leave it. It's like we've forgotten why we're here. Paul said, I'm going to stay. But why? Because it's better for you. If our goal in living a long life and sticking around here is just to enjoy the abundance, you are kidding yourself. This is nothing. This is just a taste of the abundance that awaits us up there. But if your goal is, no, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to fulfill the number of my days because God has promised me that he will satisfy me with long life, and because he has given me a mission. I'm here to touch souls. I'm here to win souls. And every day that I'm here, that's going to be my number one priority. If, I'm do, if, if nothing else, I'm going to be praying for that one soul that I know is still lost. That's my mission. If I'm passionate about staying here, it needs to be for other people. Now, I know there's a big step between where we are now and that ideal But let's don't throw it away just because it's an ideal. We all ought to be moving closer to that ideal every single day. Stand up with me. It's an abundant life. It's a good life. We should enjoy it. But let's never forget that, number one, something great awaits us on the other side of this, and something unimaginably horrible awaits those on the other side of this if they don't know Jesus. You can love your life all you want but how much do you have to hate people not to look for opportunities to save them from that awful destiny. So let's recommit ourselves to that once again. Let's be passionate not just about seeing the miracles in here not just about seeing the miracles out there but about winning souls. And let's remember Cling lightly to the things of this earth. Because when you see them in comparison, it's good, man. I love when the presence of God is in our midst manifestly and we are enjoying Him. But it's nothing, it's next to nothing compared to living in that presence. Away from everything else that is trying to pull us, pull us away from Him. So anybody in here, anybody in here need to get saved? If you do, there's only one way. Jesus Christ has already paid the price. We talked about how he paid the price for our healing. He did that at the same time he paid the price for our salvation. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, do it tonight. And I think that's, I think everybody has. But don't let my assumptions keep you from coming and receiving that gift from, of eternal life. If you've been saved, you know you made Jesus Christ your Lord. You don't doubt your salvation, but you just maybe what, what really grabbed you in, t- in tonight's uh, scripture reading was the, the passages in Acts where Uh, Jesus told them stay here you've been with me I've taught you but don't leave until the Holy Spirit has baptized you because that's when you receive the power and then we see it happening we see the Holy Spirit coming in rushing mighty wind they began to speak with other tongues and then immediately began operating that power and see people saved have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit have you ever received that that second blessing Jesus is God's gift to the world. Holy Spirit is God's gift to the believer. If you'd like to be filled with the Spirit tonight, if you'd like to start speaking in tongues tonight, and that's just one facet of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, happens to be the first thing that happened to the disciples, I'd love to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit tonight. But everybody, let's pray for a fresh infilling, Let's pray that God will use this, especially maybe the, the remaining days of this fast, to really focus on what we are here for. Heavenly Father, as soon as I'm done praying, by the way, come up here and let me pray with you if you, if you desire to be saved and filled with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are living in the better. Lord, we are a, we are a blessed people. We're blessed. Your children are a blessed people wherever they are in this world. We are particularly blessed. Blessed, I believe, Lord, because of the freedom we enjoy right here. But help us to maximize this freedom. Help us to exploit this freedom uh, to uh, to to accomplish everything that we can while while we still have this freedom. Lord, forgive us for ways we've been lazy. We thank you for the abundant life, but forgive us if we've concentrated too much on enjoying that abundance and not enough on sharing it. Remind us there's plenty of abundance to go around and that you love those out in the world as much as you loved us when you saved us and as much as you love us now. Help us to love him like that, Lord. I pray if there's anybody in here who needs to know Jesus as Savior, I pray if there's anybody in here, any believer in here, who needs to be filled with your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, impress upon them the urgency of the moment to come and receive salvation, to come and receive power, both of which you give abundantly and freely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.